This is Crypto Radio, powered by MoneyWeb, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Brandon Topham is Head of Enforcement at the Financial Sector Conduct Authority, or the FSCA. He's had a pretty tough job keeping up to speed with all the Ponzi's and scams that are swirling around the crypto space. Brandon, first of all, welcome and Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Same to you. All right. We had you on the podcast a couple of months ago, but so much has happened since then. I think we need a bit of an update. One of the companies that you warned us about was Mirror Trading International, which perhaps not surprisingly is now under provisional liquidation. Uh, So you put out a report about a month ago giving some details about what you found after your search and seizure raid. You came away with some laptops and some phones, and you obviously got a lot of data from that. Now, just summarize for our listeners what you found. Well, it started off around about uh, in July with our investigation, and then in August we issued our initial warning to the public about mirror trading. We did a search and seizure, I believe it was in September, and um, then we updated that in December with an update of where we were just reiterating our warning to the public about mirror trading and basically setting out that we believe there was misrepresentation taking place. We also informed the public at that point in time that a criminal case of fraud had been opened up against the company by ourselves and we had opened now, that, that up in November. Now, a criminal complaint is against the company, not the individuals involved? Correct. Okay, carry on. But um, during the investigation phase, the, uh, the, the, the police and the prosecution will decide who... Um, who of the individuals will be investigated further and who in the end gets charged or not. Okay. So this report that came out, really it blew open a few lies, I guess, that were being told by Mirror Trading because the first report that you issued, if I'm not mistaken, was around August of last year. Yeah. And what is very interesting is it looks like the number of Bitcoin that was going to MTI actually grew over the following months. So... That tells me a few things uh, about mirror trading and the way they were operating, that they managed to control their communication channels. I said, don't believe the FSCA. Don't believe what you're reading in the media. Believe us. You know, we don't fall under the FSCA's jurisdiction. You know, we've had legal advice which tells us that. And this conspiracy to, you know, to weaken you and impoverish you, you know, through the banking system and the conventional methods. And I just find it quite astonishing that I think the number of Bitcoin that they had grew from about 16,000 to 23,000 over a period of four to five months while all of this, these warnings were going out there. What's your explanation for that? How does that happen? Well, it's well known in South Africa that um, the public knows what a Ponzi is and they don't mind. In this case, I, I think that the multi-level networking, which effectively took place here, overrode logic. And people tend to believe their daughters or their next-door neighbors before an unknown entity. Even in our case, we're we're a regulator. And in in addition, not only us, other regulators around the world also issued similar warnings. But um, people tend to believe when they say, I put my money in and I got paid back. And you can trust me, this is legitimate. There's a misconception out there. This is all kosher. The reality is that, I mean, uh, Madoff is a prime example. How many years did he pay back his investors? Bernie Madoff we're talking about, right? Bernie Madoff in the States. uh, There's numerous um, examples. And one of the warnings that I want to remind people is just because you're getting um, a testimony of somebody that got paid back does not make it legitimate. Just because some famous rugby player or cricket player or the local uh, preacher tells you, I put my money in and I got the money back, does not make it legitimate. There's only one way to ensure legitimacy, and that is 
are they properly registered? And even then, there's a risk that properly registered people go rogue on occasion. But at least there's some level of oversight. And in this specific areas of these online investment scams, be it in a cryptocurrency or be it using normal fiat currency, it makes no difference. Many of these institutions or jurisdictions are based outside of South Africa. And in this case of mirror trading, I think half the investors come from outside of South Africa. Normally it's the other way around. It's South African money going out to Cyprus or uh, some other little country that I can't pronounce the names of on occasion, etc. Mm. But in this case, it was a homegrown little scam. It was a successful scam. It was very successful. I think many professional marketers can learn from this. But, you know, it took me less than 10 seconds when I saw the scam in July to say this is a scam. You know, and, and most accountants that looked at it will say it's impossible. And I think every single person that invested in, in this organization was probably told by somebody this is not possible. This is not feasible. Yet they still decided to invest well the interesting thing is i know some people who invest in that you know who are, who are fairly close to me and uh, I've, I've been contacted by them and said you know have you got any updates on mti because i've got some money in that and i said you know you're a smart person you should know better <laughs> but evidently not and i think one of the ways that it succeeded was that very thing of influences you know the the rugby player famous rugby player uh, your accountant, your lawyer, you know, people who've got degrees, you know, a PhD or a master's degree or something like that, convincing you, no, no, this, uh, I've been paid out, I put my money in, I, I'm getting this monthly return, which of course is how these schemes work, is they do show you some returns in the beginning. For sure, and it's how Ponzi works. You take money from Peter to pay Paul. That's as simple as that. And at some point in time, the schemes get to a point where there's not enough money left to pay out people, and that's when it either collapses or the people make a runner. As any word about Johann Steinberg, who, you know, who is the CEO of MTR, do we know where he is? I don't think anybody knows where he is. Um, I have my suspicion. I believe he's probably in Panama. Um, we, we Not do, Brazil, huh? No, no, he flew to Brazil, I believe, and then from Brazil, it's easy to jump to get into Panama. And why do you think he's in Panama? Uh, there's various... Um, correspondence between people in Panama, etc., that we came across, yeah. um, and also it's a country with very good extradition um, laws, or shall we say, lack of extradition lack of extradition laws. laws. Yeah, but 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 isn't it very much uh, a kind of protectorate of the United States? Yeah, well, because um, they got the canal there, they're very interested in keeping their eye on that investment. We'll wait and see, but I do know that there are a lot of Americans who put money into mirror trading international. That means that the FBI will most definitely also have a case going in this, and um, they tend to get to the bottom of it in the end from their side as well. Right. So I don't think there's anywhere in the world he's going to end up hiding. Yeah. But um, let's wait and see. Everybody's innocent until proven guilty. Right. The problem right now is that they can't prove him guilty or innocent until they find him. Yeah. Do we know that he went to that he flew to Brazil? Did he actually leave the country? Um, I have um, reports, but they are not of a um, of a confirmed nature. I'm pretty confident that he did fly. He did fly, um, out. and um, I know that the investigating officers are confirming with Home Affairs, etc., and through the airlines. But I I haven't seen any confirmation at this point in time. Right. Of course, to, to fly to Brazil, you don't need a visa. You can arrive there with a South African passport. You don't need a visa. And they also don't have extradition laws, as far as I know, to South Africa. I'm, I'm not aware, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's a big population. You could get lost there, you know, quite yeah. easily. And um, do, you know, do we know how much Bitcoin he controls? No idea. 
unfortunately this is going to take months to years to get to the bottom of um, and, and and I do believe that they are also uh, applying techniques to hide the trail as well but they call mixes right mixes and mm. things that I don't fully understand and um, but there are experts involved and they will get to the bottom of it but the reality is that because there's um, the identity of the wallet holders is not always clear you know it depends on who, who open up the wallet depends on what level of um, information is available in the case of mirror trading themselves they don't even know who the investors are I mean there's no ID documents or any type of what we call FICA uh, that was complied with by mirror trading so effectively you got an email address and um, one of your questions would probably be how many people involved nobody really knows but we know that at, at, at one point there was 169,000 email addresses unique email addresses linked to um, mirror trading um, accounts and that's at this point in time one of the big problems as to unraveling it is you know a person can who owns an email address as well so right. it's going to take quite a while to get to the bottom of all that never mind who controls the various wallets where money ended up yes and there's a lot of wallets i spoke to sherry marks uh, i think it was in december she said there was two hundred and eighty thousand people involved now whether that's accounts you know you can mm-hmm. sign up your dog and give him an email address and why would you do that well because you're earning 10 percent commissions on everything your dog invests which is re- really just an alter ego for yourself right um uh, the other thing is, I mean, one of the points speculated is that uh, there's about 7,000 Bitcoin under Steinberg's control. I mean, I'm sure this is, it is speculative and we'll find out, as you say, in the years to come. But if that is true, that's worth uh, more than 3 billion rand at the moment. Don't you think that can buy you a lot of invisibility? I'm pretty certain it can. And there's a, I think the timing of the disappearance is, is all relevant. At some point in time, there was obviously enough money to disappear with and to theoretically live comfortably. Um, but how much Bitcoin is involved, I, I don't know. And I think the liquidator's job is going to take them a couple of months to get to the bottom of that. The problem is people put money in, they take money out, then they transfer money between wallets, etc. We did look at it. But, I mean, that wasn't the focus of our initial investigation. Hmm. So the reality is that um, the same Bitcoin can be circulated a few times. So how many unique um, Bitcoin were deposited in the scheme? My gut feeling is I'm thinking probably around about uh, one and a half to two billion will probably be the the minimum capital that I believe is going to have have gone lost at this point in time. I mean, um, I'm excluding the parent earned interest etc it might be a lot more but remember a lot happened between our warning and our initial raid and the final shall we say stopping of operations and it did look like people were investing more and more despite the warnings etc more people were investing so in a matter of a month a lot could have happened you know my gut was saying one and a half to two billion it could be double that it could be even more it's going to take a long time i do know that this has got a major impact for uh, for many people, uh, it became a, an income stream for people that didn't have jobs. Um, I've heard so many sad stories already of people in all their investments into this, their retirement. It's you know yep. it's just unbelievable. Yep. The most fundamental principle of in, of investing, and specifically long term investing, is you can't put all your eggs in one basket. Specifically, anything linked to a high risk investment. Tell us about the search and seizure raid. Um, 
when you were here last, you managed to track down, I think it was in Polokwane, the guy who apparently wrote the computerized algorithm. Yes. Can you pick up the story from there? What did you find? Well, basically, there's really no, <laughs> there's no bot. Um, there's no I th- bot. I believe initially he, he confirmed the story um, provided by the CEO that a bot was written. But thereafter, the, the story diverged. I mean, there weren't continuous updates. He wasn't the chief trader. And at the time of the raid, he basically did a complete about turn and said, I'm not involved at all. I don't know anything. I don't know where the survey is. I don't know what happened to the bot. So but I'm not miss- involved anymore. There's a missing bot somewhere. Did, did <laughs> we manage to find out where it sits, if anywhere? No. Has anybody seen this thing? No. There's Nobody from your I, office? No. I th- okay. If anywhere, there was some form of automated trading on demo accounts that went through a MetaTrader 4 or something. But right. It was Th- all that's related to generated. So, so what MTI was originally doing is that they were trading Forex. Although you yes. had to send Bitcoin, mm. they were using that to trade Forex derivatives. They Correct. were converting that into a different yes. currency, I guess, is what was happening. In which we clearly have jurisdiction. Yeah. All right. And right. then when we came on board with our warning, they said, no, all right, we, if you have jurisdiction, we will change our business model. And then they started trading in crypto. But on closer examination of what they said they were doing, we still with MetaTrader, et cetera, which is a derivative uh, trading type of platform. Um, it's clear that they were trading a derivative of a crypto. So they weren't, weren't buying Bitcoin, for instance. They were buying, in theory, derivatives, bearing in mind that they weren't doing anything. Which then brings them under your jurisdiction because it's a derivative, in right? In theory, yes. So they were trading through a forex broker called FX Choice based out of Belize. No. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It was FX. in Belize, right? And they claimed to be trading successfully through the system. Yes. But when you investigated and you got information from FX Choice, they told you, no, they lost 30% of the capital in a period of about so four months. In, initially, right in the middle, there's actually three phases or four phases to, to Meritrade. Initially, the money was held in separate accounts for initial investors. And during that trading process, they lost 80% of the money. 80%. They then stopped it and they bought in a bot trader. It's, I think it was about, about August 2019. In hindsight, we can put together what theoretically happened. And, and, and at that point in time, they were trading in one pool account. But it was never the amount of money that Mirror Trading was saying. So let's just say they said there was 10 Bitcoin, there was one Bitcoin. The other nine Bitcoin were, I don't know where they would, where that was, but effectively um, it was um, then pooled. And that trading they did then lost 30% capital whilst they were at FX. Okay. So, <coughs> so they never made money. Let's break this down. So they initially started doing manual trading they lost 80 percent of the capital correct. with this broker then they introduced a computerized trading system after which they lost 30 percent correct that's based on the fx uh, platform right Belize. so what they then saw. said uh you issued your warning they said okay we're going to stop doing forex trading now mm-hmm. you know we've lost 80 percent plus 30 percent this is not looking good then they said we're going to trade bitcoin using or the, cryptos. this or, or cryptos generally um, and they set up this uh, the supposed exchange called Trade 300. Oh, a broker. They said they moved their money to a new broker in St. Kitts, Nevis, and that the company was called um, Trade 300. But through our investigations, we've ascertained there is no such brokerage. It's all a figment created by the, the CEO of Mirror Trading. Right. Do we know anything more about the CEO, Johan Steinberg? I mean, he's... 
his name has been associated with previous kind of schemes like this, BTC Global being one of them, right? Apparently. I mean, it wasn't part of an investigation I've done, so I'm not sure. But I, I, yes, many of the management were involved in other similar type of operations. Right. Okay. Uh, another company that recently was placed in final liquidation is Finalmente Global. Finalmente spelled F-I-N-A-L-M-E-N-T-E. I don't know why. That's a bit of a difficult name to remember. But anyway, so th- just this week they were placed in final liquidation. And it turns out that while they were promoting themselves as an internet advertising agency, it was actually soliciting Bitcoin from investors and funneling these Bitcoin to Mirror Trading International. So it's like, again, a, a shadow company or an alter ego of the, the same organization. Do we know anything about this organization, Finalmente? Well, um, I'm not sure that they were linked to Mirror Trading in the management. I think they just invested with Mirror Trading from what I'm picking up. But as, as you said, it was purported to be an internet advertising company. So it wouldn't have fallen under our radar and we have not received any complaints up until now that um, they were taking people's money, effectively. I mean, there's there's hundreds of schemes in South Africa right now. Hundreds? Probably even more. Right. Uh, so um, that L- wasn't on our radar. Th- there's then. another one that's just come across our desk, uh, Presidium yeah, that's uh, Wealth. Old. That's an old one. That's uh, Well, re- yeah. old is what, five months? I think a bit longer. <laughs> wasn't it placed in liquidation that. about five months ago? Yeah, but it's, but it's a much longer story. That's been going on for quite some time. Okay. Uh, I think even before... More, probably two years. All right. So it's a long-term operation there. But it's 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 similar in that money was invested and it wasn't returned to investors. And obviously some of the investors' money was used to pay returns initially to to other investors. How do you keep on top of all of this? I mean, with all these scams that happen. We got. Um, I think everybody must realize that um, we can give warnings and we can give people guidelines. But at the end of the day, you have to... Um, you have to look out for yourself. Um, and if any return is offered that's above average, you've got to expect something's, something's extremely highly risky or something's extremely highly suspect. Yeah. In the case of Presidium, unfortunately, they were registered financial services providers. Oh, they were? They were registered with us. You know, that's why I, say, I said earlier that it's just one, one of the mechanisms you've got to protect yourself. Are they, are they registered with the regulator, et cetera? But, you know, uh, there's numerous examples of where um, regulated operations, either somebody in the operation gets greedy and starts stealing the money, or whether they, they their vanity takes control and they just want to be known as this guru of providing financial returns. Mm. You know, and um, I think that was the case over here in Presidium. One of the things I've noticed uh, since writing up a few stories about MTI and what's happened to it is um, people, obviously poor South Africans, a lot of people from the townships, writing, um, saying, do I know anything? And I'm wondering how this managed to get so deep into into uh, that level of society, you know, where people, you know, probably don't know very much about Bitcoin or cryptos, generally speaking, ended up putting what looks like a fair amount of money into it. Where, where are we failing? What's mm. going on here? Yeah, well, one of our jobs is to increase consumer education. We do spend millions of rand a year and we have a lot of operations out um, throughout the country in rural communities, in schools, trying to educate people on on um, uh, protecting their financial interests and their retirement, etc. 
But, I mean, I've been on radio programs on rural radio stations where people on the line have said, listen, we know this is a Ponzi. You know, we, I'm a professional Ponzi investor, you know. <laughs> so I don't believe most South Africans <laughs> don't understand what yeah. a Ponzi is. And they don't understand that if I'm offering you returns 100 times better than a bank is offering you, that there's something not right here. You know, right. So people can fall behind the fact that, oh, we didn't know. But the reality is common sense has to come into to play. So well, what are they saying? Yeah. That, that, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in it. I know it's a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. I'm going to invest in it, and I'm going to draw whatever capital I put in, and then I'm, you know, I'm square, yeah. and then I'm playing with the house money. This lady specifically says, you know, you win some, you lose some, like in any business. So you must be prepared to lose money. So sometimes you lose money, you put in, but then you've got to invest in the next one to make money. And if you get in and out fast, you tend to make money. And that's one of the big messages that I want to get out to the public, and specifically with Mirror Trading now, is that this company is now in liquidation. We will be working with the police, we will work with the prosecuting authorities, and we will work with the liquidators to to recover assets. That will be missing Bitcoin, for instance, but it will also include people that have been preferred at the expense of other creditors. So whenever you participate in an unlawful scheme, you yourself are perpetrating the crime. And as a in normal insolvency law, you can be expected to repay um, your preferred payment. So using a simple example, if you put 100 Rand in, you get paid back 120 Rand, and four months later, let's say the the thing collapses, well, that 120 Rand is going to be reclaimed from you. And then that 120 Rand goes into the entire pool with all the other investors, and in the end you will put in your, your claim for what you lost, right. and you will get a percentage back. And what we need in South Africa is for people to understand this better, that if you participate in a Ponzi, you can, be, can expect to have to repay whatever money you put in yourself and what you make, effectively. Right. I, I guess there's a lot of denial going on because there's still people who think, no, no, the, the Bitcoin is still there. Uh, it, it's all going to come out all right. But, I mean, this is the typical cycle of the Ponzi, right? Where people go, I don't believe this happened. It's not a Ponzi. You got it all wrong. Um, and now that it actually looks like it's collapsing, there's a little bit of denial. But that, even that's fading, right? Look, I mean, only a criminal court can say this was fraud or not, all right? Um, and there's various various elements of, 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 of transgressions that take place here. Certain people may or may not have known about the fraud element, right? and that's to be determined. There are other uh, elements. People have participated in making the fraud happen, and they've been accessories to an extent, and that's a separate matter that's got to be investigated. But from our side as well, there's if you give advice in the financial environment without being registered, you are committing a criminal offence as well. So our organisation can levy administrative penalties and we are still deciding on how we're going to proceed in the matter here against the company and against individual players, key management, etc., for giving financial advice without being registered um, or for offering a financial product without being registered as a financial institution. So there's various levels of offences that have taken place here and time will determine who's guilty of which transgression or not. Let me bring in Farzam Asani here. Farzam is the CEO of Valor, which is a crypto exchange. Farzam, you've just been listening into what we're talking about here. And you, I remember you mentioned this to me last year, that you were starting to get some clients, wanting to, brand new clients that were coming to your exchange, wanting to buy Bitcoin, um, elderly people, pensioners, and 
shipping it off to MTI, and then you started to interrogate them a little bit just to see, are they doing the right thing? Just give us a bit of background on that. Yeah, sure. So we do a lot. Obviously, we KYC all our customers. We, we have to ask for identification, uh, images of who they are, maybe videos, et cetera, to, to know who we're dealing with. Even though we're not required to do that by law right now, we believe it's coming in and we thought it was the right thing to do. So we, we do that for, you can't trade at all if you're not KYC'd on our platform. So we started seeing that there were some elderly people, like an elderly lady that was very old, depositing quite a significant sum. And so we thought, this is very strange. It's not really the 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 profile that we would expect of a, someone that's coming into crypto and buying. And so we started interrogating and we saw that some customers were indeed saying that there's this, there's this wonderful opportunity uh, to make some money. And so what we did was a number of things. So we thought, listen, we do not want to facilitate. We do not want to promote. We do not want to be a conduit for anything that's good, that's A, illicit, and B, is ultimately going to be bad for customers. So what we ended up doing, actually, this is before the FSCA warnings and, and things of that nature, we, we use what's called blockchain analysis block, uh, monitoring tools. And we could tell when some of the addresses were associated with these schemes. And whenever we could tell that, we would actually issue a pop-up screen to say, you're trying to send your money to a, very, to a suspicious address. Uh, please make sure you know what you're doing, cancel over here, or, or proceed. We, we took the decision that, you know, to, to Brandon's point, we're not a rule of law. Uh, what we believe and what I believe that, that this thing, these are not, it's not possible to make those type of returns. There must be something else that's going on. But at the end of the day, we're not in the position to tell people what to do or not to do with their money, all right? And so we would, we, we would put up this warning to say, cancel, please. And we would also spend a lot of time on the telephone. So I personally spent countless hours with some customers and I would say, please, do you understand what's happening? Do you understand what a Ponzi scheme is, et cetera? And you speak to a customer for 20, 30 minutes, and they say, okay, thank you. You put on the phone, and then you see they've sent the money. Right. But now I think this is part of the modus operandi of MTI, is that they, were, they actually schooled their members to say, you are going to get resistance from the exchanges. You know, just ignore them or listen to them, acknowledge them, and then do it anyway. Yeah. Um, so th they were set up, but it's not just that. that. Actually, I have I have some f some friends that had publicly spoken against these schemes, and they had been personally contacted by these schemes to say, "Stop what you're doing, otherwise we're taking legal action against you." So because they had so much money, they could deploy some of those funds to to to, to lawyers' fees, etc. You would have seen, obviously, the the lawyers that were associated with them subsequently distanced themselves. Right. But I know this particular individual that told me this story was very frazzled by it. And so she then kept a lower profile because she didn't want to be, you know, sought after by a legal team, you know. Yeah. So so it, we're dealing, these are criminals, right? These are criminals that have a sophisticated scheme to try to extract funds. And to Brandon's point, I also talked to one individual who said, listen, I know what's going on here, but, you know, uh, you, you have no right to stop me and I know what I want to do. So, you know, just uh, I'm putting the instruction in to do, you know, you're a platform. All right. Um, so really now the, the good thing is there were many people that didn't continue, which is wonderful. 
But ultimately, as you said, there is greed of the individual. There is the influence of these criminals that, uh, as Brandon said, have very sophisticated marketing schemes, flashing money in front of people's faces as incentives, etc. So a lot of education needs to be done. Um, and uh, and we, we continue to do that at Valor. Right. Okay, Brandon, given all we've been talking about here, is it time to accelerate the introduction of regulations for cryptos and require those involved in the space to register as financial service providers? So crypto itself, I said this before, in most cases will never be regulated. You can't regulate but Bitcoin, you know. But there are certain elements of crypto that will be able to be regulated in time, you know, um, uh, coins that are linked to shares effectively in a company, things like that, that will be looked at. But the starting point we took last year, we, we issued a, a a call to the public of our intention to consider a um, crypto assets to be a financial service. And therefore, once that is published, people like Valor and other um, providers of, of, of wallets and services in to crypto will need to register with us. What that will entail is that they will be required, for instance, to comply fully with South African anti-money laundering legislation. They'll have to comply with rules of the Reserve Bank because at the moment people are taking money out through wallets against exchange control rules, etc., and will have to give their clients proper warning that they're entering into a high-risk investment um, and they should um, understand the risks involved. Uh, they should also maybe, we haven't decided exactly what level will happen, but there will be things like, you know, uh, what percentage of your investment portfolio you put into this, if you know, uh, and and it's got to be, make sense. And that's where we're going with this in the coming months. In addition, um, we will continue to, to warn the public that there are certain higher risk investments you know, if you invest in a, a, a unit trust, as is commonly known, that's a high-risk investment already. You know, it's getting in shares. But when you start investing in binary options and forex derivatives and cryptocurrencies, these are high-risk things that you must understand should make up a smaller portion of your investment portfolio mm-hmm. and should really not be run by just every Tom, Dick, and Harry. Are there any other crypto forex schemes that you think we should be made aware of? There are so many schemes, and we daily well, issuing warnings on our FSCA website. Go to the FSCA website. Should, yeah. should do a proper Google look at our website from time to time before before investing. Well, I actually did but, that, uh, and yeah. and I was astonished astonished at how many reports you put out last year. I mean, it's yeah. literally every week. Yes, for you daily. I sign them mm. daily. Do you? Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes I go out in batches weekly, etc. But the, that happens daily, and the reality is that that's probably a small percentage of the actual scams out there. Um, And what does make it more complicated is if it is a South African domiciled scam. So in some ways it makes it easier. But but we've got to apply a lot more fair administrative law justice to the... um, to how we act when it comes to a South African company than potentially a company domiciled in the Isle of Man or some other country. Um, so there's many, many of the South African ones will take a lot more time before we can actually just say and, and interfere with your constitutional right to, to run a business. I, I think people have a misunderstanding about what the, the, the powers of the FSCA. I had an email just this morning, in fact, from a, a guy. He says, you know, the FSCA should uh, take more responsibility 
for this. He's obviously an MTI investor. He's looking to get his money back. And he's almost suggesting that you should pay him back. Um, I haven't replied to him yet, but would you like to reply? (laughs) (laughs) Look, I would like a lot more power, but the Constitution of South Africa limits the power of of, of everybody, specifically a, a regulator like ourselves. I would like to go and arrest people and go and put them in the the, the local police station and, and prosecute them criminally, but I don't have that power. Um, I can't even close you down. I've got to go to court. And have you seen how long it takes to get to court? Um, I've got a matter in Cape Town that we did a search and seizure. Um, it's going to be almost a year before the the court decides whether we are allowed to look at the information we took in a, in a matter. And that's on an urgent type of basis. Wow. Doesn't it also kind of rub you the wrong way that people who have stolen money would then use that money to fight legal cases against you and against their own investors and the interests of their investors? That doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem just. There's a lot of things in life that aren't fair. I mean, the fact that people invested in Meritrading and felt the need to do it because they were desperate in many cases. Yes, greed's a, a factor, but there's a lot of people that are desperate for income and there's a belief that there a certain class of people in society have secret knowledge and therefore they know how to invest and now I'm in that crowd and I should not be allowed, to, uh, shouldn't be forced out. But the reality is that we have a constitution and the constitution allows everybody the right to trade. It allows everybody the right to invest where they like when they like, effectively, and it allows um, people to be innocent until going through the whole process. And um, you will see there's some very high-profile cases in South Africa involving many billion, but there hasn't even been an arrest yet uh, for various reasons. One of the reasons, if you arrest somebody, you've got to bring them to, to trial within a, a reasonable period of time, etc. So, yes, I can understand the people's frustration. Um, we had the FSCR working really hard at finding ways to speed up our processes. But at this point in time, if I write to, let's just say, Mirror Trading and say, please provide us with this, we've got to give a reasonable period of time. Then remember this year we also had COVID, for instance, etc. And then they come back and say, look, we need another week, sometimes another, you know, and we've got to be reasonable because if we say no, then theoretically they go to court and they say, you're not being fair and that delays the whole process until the court, uh, the court is heard on it. So and unfortunately, go back to what I said right in the beginning, people are responsible to look after their own money, you know, and as soon as you go out of the established financial um, regime as such, you know, the established banks, established investment houses, established uh, pension funds and retirement annuities, etc., you must understand you are getting into dangerous territory. Yeah. Okay, we better start wrapping this up. Final question. What's in store for 2021 from the FSCA? For Mirror or for in general? Generally, yeah. Well, we're going to work at bed and foster at what we do, whilst not um, destroying your constitutional rights, uh, effectively as an investor or as a, a company is trying to operate. There's going to be a lot more operation in the crypto crypto space, crypto asset space for certain. It's something that the regulators around the world don't want to to acknowledge because it's it's something that's not even tangible. It's an intangible spares in most cases. But the reality is that the world has embraced it. My concern is that I think it's got a lot to do with multi-level marketing that drives your price of your currencies up. People who have got a stake tell their friends, look how well this currency is doing, etc. You must buy, you're going to miss out, etc., etc. And that is driving this this whole crypto space upwards. And really it's a gamble on 
all fiat currencies are going to collapse and governments of the world can't be trusted and therefore it's better to have your money in in nothing in, in the crypto environment. So uh, I believe that we will have to do what we can to try and safeguard the public as much as possible whilst allowing crypto companies um, and individuals to invest as, as, as they like. Fazam, you, you look like you're about to jump out of your chair there. Do you want to answer that? No, I think <laughs> is, is crypto a multi-level marketing scheme? I think, see, Brandon, this is what he sees. This is the part of the market that he sees every day, right? So, mm. so there's a bias towards that. So, but I think if you look at uh, some reports by the likes of Chainalysis, you know, they've, they've come out to say, you know, less than 1.1% of uh, the flows in crypto are illicit. Right, so, so I would disagree with Brandon that the price is f- driven from these players. Uh, as we talked about in our previous podcast, a lot of it's coming from the institutions, uh, hedging against the depreciation of fiat currencies, etc. So do they exist, these schemes? 100%. My view, and I think what the facts attest to, is that they aren't that big from the grand scheme of things that they're moving market prices across the world. That's simply, I don't think, it, uh, aligned with the, with the facts. But but they are there. So, you know, we, I have a good relationship with Brandon, and, and I think our intentions are very similar. We want to protect the public. So, you know, I'll call Brandon out, uh, and he'll call me out, you know, if we ever have any differences. But we do have the same intention and motivation, which is to serve the public of South Africa. Brandon, final word. Yeah, I want to specify, I'm not saying it's the illicit money that's driving the price up. I believe it's the entire world. Every Every man out there is believing that crypto is the next best thing. And that that hope in the future of, of a crypto is what drives the price up. And that price is going to stay as long as that hope exists. But when that hope collapses, well, there's nothing other than the hope, always. Right. I acknowledge that there is a place for a um, crypto asset in many sophisticated investment portfolios and in an individual that has a fair balance of other investments there's a place for it but you understand it is a riskier investment than others and that's what we want to get across and that's what we will be doing and in general we're working on getting better market intelligence so we can pick up these schemes fast mirror trading we picked up before anybody um, yes, object, you did. Um, said that it was going to be a loss etc mm. so uh, we, did, we did the best we can but we need the public to also let us know Please look at this, please look at that, and understand we can't look at everything. So in the end, I've got to focus on the ones that I believe are going to to be the big players and hurt the most amount of people. Okay. Super. Thank you so much. That was Brandon Topham, Head of Enforcement at the Financial Sector Conduct Authority, and Farzam Esani, who is the CEO and co-founder of Valor.